series on biblical allegories. Uh, when we began, we talked about leprosy, blindness, and the lamb, three conditions that speak to spiritual conditions. Uh, last week, we looked at Jacob and his struggles, uh, his struggles with himself, his struggles with everybody else, and ultimately his struggle with God, and that's when God got a hold of him and crippled him. And uh, you might wonder, isn't that a bit harsh, that God would cripple him? And the fact is, that's what he's trying to do with each one of us. Because he loves us. And he knows that until he breaks our will, we're going to keep doing dumb things, get ourselves into trouble, uh, upset other people, upset our God, and he's just going to train us like he trains a horse with a bridle. When the bridles tug right, you go right. You don't fight it and try and go left. So tonight we're going to look at this extraordinary character, Amalek. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because the, the story of Amalek is so intense and so rich it's incredible from Genesis to Revelation, but it's actually not quite that far. Uh, there are just references to Amalek, and they speak to this war between our flesh and spirit. So we're going to begin by reading Romans chapter 7, verse 18, and then 8, 5 to 8, and verse 13. Um, and then we'll pray and get into it. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's an important statement that uh, the Apostle Paul speaking the truth. In me dwelleth no good thing. And you know the problem is nobody can have believed that. Uh, there's got to be something good in me. I mean, I'm actually quite a nice person. I mean, my kids love me. Uh, and the problem is we're rotten to the core. Yeah. And if we depend on ourselves, we're going to keep messing up. In me, this is good enough for Paul to say it is good enough for me. In my flesh, says Paul, there's no good thing. Amen, brother. I believe, even though I think I'm quite a good guy, I'm going to believe Paul. He seems to know what he's talking about. They are after they that are after the flesh to mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. There you've got another very good definition. If you are a fleshly person, if you're living in your old nature, that's what the flesh means. You're going to do things that your old nature likes to do. If you are led by the Spirit, you're going to do things that please God. For to be carnally minded, that word carnal is another word for your old nature. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You can underline that in your Bible. There's nothing about your old nature that can please God, and it will not submit to God. Uh, sometimes it makes a good show of submission, but uh, does not want to submit to God. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you live after the flesh, ye shall die. You will die spiritually. You might even die physically. Um, but if you through the Spirit you mortify the deeds of your body, ye shall live. If you control your old nature with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can't do it on your own, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, as God takes more and more control of your life, 
it becomes easier and easier to walk in a way that pleases them consistently. This is just something you learn as a Christian. But that learning begins with understanding in me dwelleth no good thing, and I believe it. And because of that, that conflict, there is an unending war between our flesh and spirit. Let's pray, and then we'll see how this unfolds. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity once again to come together in the Middle East. Thank you for this amazing word that you've given us, Lord. It's so rich, it's so full. Uh, there's so much in it that as we begin to understand how it all hangs together, it's just awe-inspiring. Uh, we truly do serve an amazing God. And we do appreciate your word. And we ask that you bless us tonight as we delve into that word and see the truth you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You want to please Jesus? Don't be dumb, carnal things. Don't live in your old nature. Um, and I've got a definition here. By the way, we've got very detailed notes, uh, and I do them that way so that if you're interested in studying this further, you've got all the scriptures, and you can study them yourself. And the notes are there so that you know where the scriptures fall. Um, and if you're still confused, just call me and I'll help you. Sometimes, though, I'm confused. It's just so complicated. Definitions. Flesh, our old nature, our human nature, the sinful nature that was part of us at birth. We are not born perfect, whatever this world may tell you. Everybody is good, but we, we're just born good. I, and you're, you're a victim of your environment. It's not you that's wrong. It's because somebody treated you badly or your environment is wrong or you grew up in a bad neighborhood. There's something that you can blame your bad moves on and your bad reactions to things. It's not your fault. Well, that's not the Bible story. The Bible says it is your fault. You were born rotten. Because you're a descendant of the first Adam. Remember last week we talked about the first Adam and the last Adam. Jesus, when he died on the cross, put that old human race to death. The Adamic race, as far as God's concerned, is dead. He's now dealing with a new race of people, those who are related to the second man. The first man, Adam, failed the second man Jesus Christ and he rose from the dead with the progenitor of a whole new race of people and only those people only those who are part of the family of God through their relationship with Jesus Christ will get to heaven because heaven is populated by people who have got that new nature uh, not by people who are of the old nature um now this is what we need in the rottenness of the old nature and then it begins at birth. Try this. Get two toddlers, put them in a small room with one toy and observe what happens. That should convince you more than anything else that yes, we are born rotten and we need Jesus to help fix us. Uh, now, you can't discipline the old nature. Uh, like putting a bridle on a horse. That doesn't work either. The only thing that works is be filled with the Spirit of God. There should be more of God in you than the old nature and then you'll start to behave in the way that He wants you to. That's not an easy task. That takes 
a lot of walking with God and an awful lot of mistakes and of falling flat on your face and getting up again and saying, I'm sorry, I messed up again, Lord, I can't stand it. I'm such a loser, but I trust you that you're helping me. And you keep going. And one day, when you get to be old and white-haired, and you look back and say, wow, you brought me a long way. And it was all his doing. And I'm so glad that he kept on at me like the hound of heaven. God does not let you go. Uh, which is a wonderful thing. So, that's the flesh. It's contrary to us. The spirit is our new nature received when we are born again. The day you ask Jesus Christ to save you, new resurrection life entered you and it will never leave. You entered eternity in that moment. And that resurrection life begins as a little seed in you and it longs to grow. And it grows as you water it. By reading your Bible, by saying your prayers, by coming to church, by doing Christian things, by turning away from the things of the world that used to drag you down, that used to feed your old nature, you turn away from those, not because you want to get a button in your seat that says, I gave up smoking this week and I'm a hero. No, it's you just got full of the spirit and you didn't want to smoke anymore. God gets the credit. The minute you start to credit yourself for being a great Christian, boy, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't run with those who do, I'm a great Christian. No, you're not. You're proud, for one thing. Uh, walking in the Spirit is complicated and simple at the same time. It's something you learn by doing. So anyway, allegories associated with the conflict between flesh and spirit are amongst the most powerful and consistent in scripture because the issue is so vital to every Christian. Victorious Christian life is impossible if we neither know nor care that we are locked in a war to the death with our old corrupt nature from the moment of our salvation. A war breaks out. And this message that we're going to get into tonight builds on the rich allegorical link highlighted by the Apostle Paul in our first lesson in the series. Uh, we saw Paul break down for us in uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 5 to verse 1, an amazing uh, breakdown of how all these allegories fit together. Uh, he talked about the sons of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac, and he tied them to Old Covenant and New Covenant. Old Testament and New Testament, to the bond woman, the slave woman, Hagar, and the free woman, Sarah, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, to flesh and spirit, to earthly Jerusalem and heavenly Jerusalem. And you really got to read that passage carefully to follow what he's talking about. But it's worth the effort because you begin to see, okay, I see how this all hangs together. How clever God is to give us these examples. Um, Cain and Abel, of course, preceded Ishmael and Isaac, the two sons of uh, Abraham. And they were in turn followed by Esau and Jacob. So Cain and Abel, Esau and Jacob, Ishmael and Isaac are allegories for the war between flesh and spirit. These are real people who lived, lived in history. They had real, actual lives, and they are glowing examples to us of the war between flesh and spirit. And you learn a lot as you study their lives. There were others, we may get into these that I've mentioned, but let's look at these 
Luke's uh, conflict quickly between uh, Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Uh, you know the story there. Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. So he said, the eldest son and the youngest son. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought to the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought to the thirteenth of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wrath, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wrath? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Sin is going to, going to want to rule you, and Cain, I'm telling you, you've got to rule sin. And Cain talked of Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. This is a fantastic, and no, no coincidence, it's right in the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 4. We get a vivid picture here of the problem between flesh and spirit. And here the, the illustration is, there's a man who is merely religious, he's living in his old nature, and he wants to please God his way. By bringing a sacrifice to God that he produced. The other man wants to please God the way God tells us to please him. You want to get close to me, bring a sacrifice that dies for you. And you'll know it's dead because it's spilled its blood. And that innocent little lamb is a picture of my son who one day will walk this earth and die for me. And right there in the beginning of the Bible, we see the picture. And it gets richer as we then go to Genesis chapter 21, verses 5 to 10. You can see all these little things hanging out here because there's so many scriptures you've got to look at. Uh, 21 verses 5 to 10. Um, and we read this last week. Uh, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time when God had spoken to him. I got the right place? 5 to 10. Uh, yes. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him Isaac, whom Sarah bared unto Sorry. The name that was born unto him, whom Sarah bared to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that fear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children such? For I have borne him a son in his old age. That was in old-fashioned days when ladies said, breastfed their children. Now it's all comes in the powder form. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abram, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abram, Cast out this bondwoman, and the sons of the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even as Isaac. And there we see another fantastic example of the difference between flesh and spirit and how it will war against you if you don't control it. Now we see the one son produced by the smart thinking of, of Abram and his wife. They, God had promised them a child. The child didn't come, so they decided to help God, and it was a disaster. They produced a son by
by their fleshly uh, thinking, their fleshly actions, produce the wrong kind of boy. And he grows up to be 13 years old, and along comes the son of promise, the actual one that God said, I'll give you the son, and sure enough, he did. And immediately, the fleshly son, the first son, the wrong one, begins to mock and torment uh, the new little boy, the new life, the spiritual life. And clever mother says, get rid of him to Abram. Kick him out of our house. I don't want him anywhere near my son. Right there in vivid detail, you have another picture of the war between flesh and spirit and how to handle it. There's another one, and the, the conflict between Esau and Jacob, I won't go into that, we studied that last week in Genesis 25, but we saw the constant fighting between Esau, who was the fleshly one, and Jacob, who was the picture of the spiritual one, and how Esau sold his birthright for a plate of stew. And it's no big deal, it's only my inheritance, it's my birthright, uh, comes from God. I'm not really that keen on that. I want to go out and hunt and seek and fish and just hang out with my dad. Uh, Jacob was hungry for that birthright. So he simply tricked his older brother into selling him his birthright. He said, yeah, I'll give you some stew uh, if you'll sign your inheritance over to me, your birthright. And he did. So that's that story. The conflict then in the wilderness between the many who complained and the few who conquered. And Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 27 to 36, I'm just going to try and skim through this because we're not going to finish before 9 o'clock at this rate. Uh, verse 20, and you can leave any time you like. I'll keep going. Um, uh, so in that passage, uh, chapter Deuteronomy chapter 1 from verse 27 um, we see this is God's assessment of what was wrong with the Israelites while they were coming through the wilderness through the, and he's speaking through the mouth of Moses and he, he tells them you just kept complaining and murmuring and I couldn't do anything with you so finally I wrote you off the old generation who came out of Egypt on their way to the promised land which is a picture of the victorious Christian life and God finally says to them, I'm done with you guys. You just keep moaning and complaining. None of you are going to make it into the victorious Christian life if that's your attitude. Um, and only a very few, Caleb and Joshua, of that whole generation make it into the promised land. Why? They decided to follow God. The point of this story, apart from the fact that it highlights again the problem between flesh and spirit, is there is a very small number of people who actually uh, master walking with God, who really do walk in the Spirit, who really do live a life that is consequential, because it's not easy. It actually takes some application of this book and your prayers and listening to preaching and fellowship with your brothers and sisters to get strong if you are going to pull this off. When you do, life is wonderful. There shouldn't be any unhappy, miserable Christians. And the reason they are when you meet them is because they've just never learned to 
to overcome their flesh by submitting to the spirit of God in them. Uh, and you see that in De the story of Deuteronomy. And then, uh, just for good news, there's a wonderful transformation with the Apostle John. You know, he and his brother James, uh, they were in Samaria, they were heading on the way to Jerusalem, the people in the little village were very rude to them. And John comes to Jesus and says, let's call down fire from heaven and burn up this whole village. And Jesus says, no, he hasn't come here to destroy them, he's come here to help them. And he nicknames the two brothers Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. What a name. Uh, and you know that son of thunder, the Apostle John becomes the Apostle of Love. Write some of the most beautiful, beautiful words in the whole Bible. John 13 to 17, Jesus speaking directly to his, his followers. There's just an unbelievable letters at the end of the uh, Bible. Wonderful stuff. How did that happen? How could a son of thunder become this gentle, caring, loving man who radiated God's love wherever he went? How did that happen? It happened because God got a hold of him and John walked with him. And gradually, the old son of thunder was left in the dust and the new light took over and John was a new man. And the Bible tells us God's purpose for you and me is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. The day is going to come whether you like it or not, you're going to look just like Jesus. Hallelujah. And be just like Jesus. And he's your older brother right now. And one day you're going to be part of that amazing family as the younger brother to our incredible Savior. And it will be because the Spirit finally took over and conformed you fully to your Savior. And that's going to happen in heaven, but you don't have to wait for heaven to experience that. You can experience victorious living in Christ right now. You can have a joyful Christian life right now. You can have the over... What Jesus told his disciples, I've come to give you life. He didn't stop there. He says, and that more abundantly. Abundant life is our inheritance. And it's such a tragedy to see Christians eating the crumbs from the master's table when you can have a banquet with him every day. Come and dine, he says. So, let's look at the story of Amalek. I've got 10 minutes. You need 30 minutes worth of work here. Uh, Amalek is a descendant. It's but we won't have time to look at it all, but I implore you to study it for yourself because it's amazing when you see how detailed it is. Uh, he was a descendant of Esau. Who was Esau? He was a fleshly, the carnal one who sold his birthright for a plate of stew. He didn't care anything about the things of God. That's exactly what your old nature is like. And no surprise, he's the great Amalek is his grandson. So right there, you, you've identified, okay, I know what Amalek is going to be like. Let's see if that carries up through Scripture. Immediately after their salvation in Egypt, after crossing through the Red Sea, to get out of Egypt and receiving water from the rock, the spiritual rock that followed them, they were thirsty and living water gushed after them, and they're heading to the Promised Land. Look at Exodus chapter 17. It, 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 one of those 
when I read stuff like this in the Bible, I get goosebumps because it's, it's just so powerful the way God puts it together. So they, they, they're on their way to promised land. Egypt's in the rear view mirror. They've, they've dug the living water. Verse 8, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Ephraim. Right then, in the moment of triumph, then their flesh rises up and says, I'm going to get you, buddy. Then came Amalek and fought with them. And look at this, the, the, the lessons you get out of this. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, choose us out men, go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Prayer works when you're fighting your flesh. That's what the picture is here. When you pray, you're having a hard time. Your flesh wants to get control of you. Pray. It helps. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat there on it. Aaron and her stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And that's a fantastic picture of why you need the body of Christ. Sometimes your prayers just aren't enough. Find yourself a brother. Find a sister. Come to church. Every time the doors are open, drink in the light that is here. Talk to your brothers and sisters. Go to your pastor and say, I need prayer. I'm having this physical struggle, this, this struggle against the old flesh. And I want to be a triumphant Christian. I want to walk with God. This is where you will get the help you need. As it was here. When Moses held his hands up, the battle went well. When Moses got tired, the battle didn't go so well. So they held one on one side, one on the other. That's exactly what we do for each other. Isn't that amazing? It's right there in the Bible. All these little seeds. Um, and verse 13, Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And look at verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. I'm going to eradicate the flesh. The day is going to come when there's going to be nothing of the flesh on this earth. We're going to be perfect, conformed to the image of Christ, and everything is going to be wonderful. But until that day, we need to fight the good fight. Um... Verse uh, 15, Moses built an altar called the name of Jehovah Nissi. Anytime you want to get close to God, build an altar, worship him, praise him. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation, that's still applicable this very day. That promise, God is going to fight the flesh from generation to generation. He's still doing it, and he's doing it for those of us who ask for his help. Uh, of course, if, if you're a superman, you don't need God's help, so um, let me know how you do. Uh, prayer defeats Amalek. The war never stops. And then Jesus is ultimately going to destroy Amalek. Now, here, another amazing little thing, little nugget there is in Scripture, is in um, Numbers 24-7, Haram, the false prophet, is prophesying over Israel and it says something very, very interesting. Uh, it says, Israel's head, speaking of Israel's sin shall be higher than Agag 
and his kingdom shall be exalted. First mention of Agag in the Bible. Well, who's Agag? Well, we discovered very soon that Agag is the royal title for all the Amalekite kings. It's very like Caesar, Caesar Augustus. Remember the Roman Caesars? Uh, Caesar was the king. The Amalekites, their Caesar was called Agag. So all the kings, their title was Agag. Uh, well, let's see what we learn from this guy. Your old nature is your enemy and God's enemy. You can't compromise with your old nature. It cannot be tamed. It cannot be improved. It must, must not be indulged. It must die. Matthew 16, 24. How do you walk with God? You climb up on the cross and you die. If any man will be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, that's not the kind of thing you see on a recruiting poster. Hey, you want to join the Christian church? You want to be a Christian? Come along and die with the rest of us. So why are you guys all here tonight? Did you know you signed on for that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? He came to take you out. But he does it in the sweetest, nicest way. He loves us more than we can possibly understand. And he wants to change us. He wants to get rid of all the junk in us and make us beautiful and wonderful and joyful and kind and caring. And he will, because he'll just listen. So, how do we resist Amalek? We obey God. Have no mercy on Amalek. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, that's such a good scripture. Uh, let's, let's quickly try to read that one. Deuteronomy 25, from verse 17 to 19, it's only a few verses. Um, this is, is Moses speaking to Israelites. Remember what Amalek did unto you, by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt, how they met thee, by the way, and I smote the hindmost of thee, even all that was evil behind thee, when thou was faint and weary, and you feared not God. That's a perfect description of your flesh. Yeah. It's going to pick on you yeah. when you're at your weakest, yeah. and it's going to beat you up because it doesn't fear God. Yeah. You know who the best friend of your flesh is? The devil. Man, he loves your flesh. <laughs> he wants to he wants to just take at your flesh all the time and say, give you all these goodies to to collect. You know, look over here, look over there. Oh, look at that. You don't want to go to church. That strange bed was a good show on television. Uh, you don't want to watch that movie. Yeah, actually, I do want to watch that movie. And it's a constant war going on. Uh, and he says, Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thy enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Your land and my land is a victorious Christian life. To live victoriously. Shining for Jesus. Um, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possessions that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven and shalt not forget it. Don't ever forget the flesh is your enemy, it's not your friend. Um, the consequences of not obeying God, I'm going to tell you the story in two minutes because there's too much scripture to read. King Saul indulged the flesh. You could read about this. One of the most important chapters in all the Bible, 1 Samuel 15. Read it, study it, master that chapter because it tells you how not to behave if you want to please God. 
King Saul was given a task by God to kill Amalek, to wipe out the Amalekites as soon as he became king. Part of the picture again. Here's God's man in authority, your time, your first God, God won, he put in the flesh. Wipe out the Amalekites. And Saul does. And uh, the prophet comes into his house and says, you know, he said, fantastic day, I did exactly what God told me to do. And the prophet says, well, what's this bleating of sheep and lowing of cattle that I hear? Oh, that, that, well, the people decided to bring the best from the Amalekites, not pure at all. Bring it so that you can make a sacrifice with it. This is a really religious and holy. And we decided, God said it was all bad, but we decided it would some of it was pretty good, and he appreciates the sacrifice. No, he didn't. Uh, it didn't end well for him. And then, when the prophet says to him, you did not obey God, he says, of course I obeyed God. Look, here's Agag, a proof that I obeyed God. The king of the Amalekites, I say his life, just as proof that I've wiped out everybody else. The buddy was not smooth himself because he proved he didn't obey God. There's Agag. So we know what a bad guy Agag is. Because Saul did not eradicate the flesh when he should have, the flesh killed him. If you go to um, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, you'll find that King Saul is in a battle for his life and he's wounded. And a man comes up to him and says, how are you doing? He says, man, I want you to kill me because I don't want to be captured by the enemy. So the man does kill him, goes to King David and says, I've killed your enemy for you. And David says, how dare you? You was God's anointed. Who are you? And guess what the man says? I'm an Amalekite. No coincidence. Saul would not deal with the flesh and the flesh got him. And then there were further consequences. If you go all the way to the book of Esther, 600 years after Saul refused to do the job, the Amalekites were still trying to kill God's people. They were now in captivity in Babylon, and the king appoints a guy called Haman to, uh, as the second most powerful man in his kingdom, and he hates Jews, and he devises a plot to wipe out every Jew in Babylon. And the king agrees to it. And uh, Haman, would it surprise you to learn that he was an Amalekite? Actually, if you read the scripture, it says he was an Agatite. That means he was, a, he was part of the royal family of the Amalekites. No wonder he was trying to persecute the Jews. And it's right there in the scripture. What is the the result for us. What do we take away from this? Romans 13 verse 14. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill it in the lust thereof. Don't take it to your flesh. Don't be easy on yourself. Don't make excuses for yourself. Don't think that you're a wonderful person and nobody understands you. The one who understands you best knows how rotten you are. The good news is he loves you with an intensity that is impossible to imagine. And he wants only good things for you if you'll just let him take over your life and run it for you. You will have the most amazing life. Choose to go all the way with God. 
If you go, my favorite prophet, we are out of time, but you can read it for yourself. Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 5. Wonderful little allegorical picture of like I have preached on this before. Uh, the, the angel showing Ezekiel the river of life flowing out from under God's temple. And he invites him to go in ankle deep, and it's great. And then knee deep, that's even better. And then waist deep, wow, you're now waist deep in the blessings of God. How cool is that? But the last step is to dive in all the way, and then the river is in charge. Until you get that last step, you're in charge. Your feet are still on the ground. You can turn back, you can go left, you can go right. But when you dive in all the way and say, catch me, Lord, here I come, he's in charge. And he's going to take you where he wants to take you. For your best, there are going to be times you think, I think God has forgotten all about me. No, he hasn't. He has a plan and a purpose for you. Learn from Amalek. Take that uh, little note sheet I gave you and go over it. Honestly, if you want to help yourself in your Christian life, master what we talked about this evening. Read these scriptures. Understand what they're telling you. And you will grow spiritually. And the next time the devil comes and tempts you, you can just say, no, leave me alone. I'm busy. I'm busy reading my Bible. Sorry, don't have time for it. He's trying to tell me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.